And that was Windy and Warm by Tony Rice. I thought for once I should play the whole song and let you hear the entire thing. It's beautiful music. Good evening. Welcome to City Watch, a watchdog program for social, economic, political, and cultural issues here in New York City. You are just listening to Consabor Latina with Marisol. I'm your host of City Watch, Jeff Simmons, and thank you for joining me on this uh, rather warm day that we had here in New York City. Lots of news going on in the last few days. And before we get to our guests, I just want to give you kind of a recap of some of the developments that I think uh, you'd like to know about if you have not been paying attention today. So this morning, uh, I happen, I don't know if you happen to catch Face the Nation, but our defense secretary was kind of off message when it would uh, come to President Trump. The defense secretary, Mark Esper, said he never saw any specific piece of evidence that Iran was planning an attack on our American embassies before that January 3rd airstrike that killed Iran's most uh, important general. And obviously, critics, including some Republicans in Congress, are dismayed by this because administration officials, uh, you know, initially uh, were kind of uh, leery about discussing in public what they had known and not offering specifics about what had prompted the airstrike. But uh, the president said on Friday that part of the reason that we did the airstrike was that Iran was planning attacks on our uh, on four of our American embassies. Uh, one other thing, uh, this weekend I spent a lot of time catching up on my reading. There's a, uh, a cover story in New York Magazine. If you uh, get a chance, uh, I put it on our face, our City Watch Facebook page. It's also online on New York Magazine's website. A profile of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, by my neighbor in Queens, uh, a great writer, David Friedlander. Uh, again, I just posted it on our Facebook page. It really talks about her first year in Congress. And it's very insightful about where her mind is. Uh, she, uh, she told David that, uh, that the congressional, the Democratic congressional majority is too acquiescent to the demands of its members uh, in the so-called red to blue districts. I, you know, I want to read a, a quote from her in this piece uh, uh, that she had said that it's like we're not allowed to talk about it. The, well, the Democratic Party has a role to play in this problem about the acquiescence. Uh, it's like we're not allowed to talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about anything wrong with the, that the Democratic Party does. And she says, I think I've created more room for dissent and we're learning to stretch our wings a little bit on the left. Um, you know, and as the writer points out, it's uh, comments like these that have kept Ocasio, Cortez and the rest of the Democratic Party from reaching any kind of meaningful detente. He asked her, uh, what she thought her role would be as a member of Congress during, for instance, a Joe Biden presidency. And her response was, oh, God, she said with a groan, in any other country, Joe Biden and I would not be in the same party. But in America, uh, we are. Also this weekend, some great news for Bernie Sanders. If you have not been following the polls, check them out. There's been recent polls that are showing him solidly in second place in most of the national polls behind Joe Biden, that he's had significant momentum. One of the pieces that uh, the New York Times had uh, reported on this said that Bernie Sanders even edged ahead of his Democratic rivals in Iowa. Uh, with less than four weeks before next month's caucuses, according to this poll by the Des Moines Register and CNN. The poll showed that Sanders was the first choice for 20% of would-go caucus goers. That's an increase of five percentage points from November when that the same outlet, the, uh, the Des Moines Register, last polled the state, uh, and he was followed closely. After him, he was followed by Elizabeth Warren, uh, then Pete uh, Buttigieg, and then Joe Biden. Another development this weekend, 
Mike Bloomberg, obviously, is not going to be on the stage when there's the next debate this week. But this weekend, he said he's not ruling out spending a billion dollars of his own money on the 2020 presidential race, even if he is not the Democratic nominee. He said he would mobilize his campaign, his well-financed political operation to help Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren win in November if either is the party nominee, even if they differ on sharp policy uh, differences. I am going to be watching this debate on Tuesday. The, uh, this is uh, going to be taking place in Des Moines. It'll be, for those of you with CNN, it'll be on CNN. We'll be able to talk about this on Thursday on our Driving Forces show at 5 o'clock here on WBAI. If you're wondering why Iowa, it's because that first nominating contest of the primary, the Iowa caucuses, takes place on February 3rd, just a few weeks from now. Uh, and who's going to be on stage this uh, this Tuesday besides uh, Bernie Sanders will be Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, um, Tom Steyer, uh, still making it on stage, and uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, as well as uh, Joe Biden. If you hadn't heard, one of the other candidates who had just like fired all of her staff about a week ago, I believe, uh, Marion Williamson, has now also dropped out of the race. Lots going on in the world of politics. Um, and here in New York City, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that coming up in 2021, it's expected that uh, when we hit our campaign season, we're going to have possibly as many as 500 or more candidates running uh, across New York City for some of the citywide positions and all of our local city council races because it's expected that uh, of – the city council where there's 51 seats, that 35 of them are going to be open. You're going to have the borough president seats that are open, the five borough president uh, seats, the New York City controller, obviously the mayor uh, as well. I believe also the public advocate so is going to be up. So, for instance, in Queens, where I live, where there's now going to be a special election in a matter of weeks uh, to fill the position va uh, vacated by Melinda Katz when she became the uh, district attorney in Queens. Uh, those who are running for Queensborough presidents who we're going to be inviting on uh, the show in the coming weeks uh, are going to be have to run several times uh, again uh, after after this special election to be able to hold on to that seat. <clears throat> this is going to be an amazing uh, election season. In the next, uh, in the next year and a half, two years actually, if you think about it, uh, as more and more people announce, uh, that they're going to be running. Here in Brooklyn, where WBAI is based, uh, you know, the Brooklyn Borough President's race is picking up steam. We've had some candidates already declaring. And in fact, on our show today, we're going to be having two of those candidates join us, uh, both sitting, uh, New York City Council members. Uh, uh, some of our more dynamic council members, in fact, who've been out there on issues that I believe our WBI listeners uh, really have cared about. So joining me now, our first guest, my first guest tonight, New York City Council Member Antonio Reynoso, who is the council member for the 34th District. That represents parts of Bushwick, uh, Ridgewood, Williamsburg. Uh, he was born and raised in the south side of Williamsburg to parents who emigrated from the Dominican Republic. He's currently serving his second term in office, and he's served as the chair of the Sanitation Committee for both of his terms. In his position as uh, New York City Council position, he's passed legislation to cap the amount of trash that's handled by overburdened districts like uh, North Brooklyn and also implement a citywide commercial waste zoning system. We'll talk a little about that, what's also leading him to want to pursue the borough presidency here in Brooklyn. Uh, Councilman Reynoso, welcome to City Watch. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. And happy new year, by the way. <laughs> happy new year to you. Yeah, I don't well. know. I don't know when that expires. When we're supposed to stop saying happy new year, but I still do this week. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I, it brings joy uh, to people when you say it. It, it. it makes it seem like you're you're interested in their well-being. So it's okay. I just positive, positive energy. So let's start off. I, I gave you a brief introduction. Is there anything else you know? I want to make sure that uh, that uh, any you know that in seeking the borough presidency, that people know who you are and what you stand for. But I want to talk a little about your work on the council first. So is there anything in your introduction about that I did not point out that you would like to talk about about your work on the council? Um, yes. My, my first piece of legislation that I was able to pass was actually one related to guidance counselors in our education system. Um, they were just not uh, – there were not enough guidance counselors in our school system to deal with the emotional and socioeconomic um, stress of our students, um, and it was the first piece of legislation I was able to pass was actually documenting how many guidance counselors we have in each school and whether or not um, that has an impact, uh, positive or negative. Um, and then the, another piece of legislation that I passed was called the Right to Know Act, which was a police reform uh, piece of legislation where uh, I wanted the uh, police department uh, to uh, assert or educate or inform people of their right to deny consent searches. Um, so those are two pieces of legislation that I'm extremely proud of as well, um, outside of the work that I've done in the sanitation committee. So as we begin this new uh, legislative session in 2020, what are some of the key issues that you're going to be focused on? Um, we, we have a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I'm working on in the sanitation committee is uh, to move away from the conversation of recycling, with, um, recycling our garbage here in the city of New York and move into reduction. We really need to start thinking about uh, how we affect uh, uh, the city of New York and our, and our country and the world when it comes to climate change and how much garbage has to do with that. And it's not just about recycling. At some point, we have to have a real conversation about reduction. So start, uh, you should, you could, uh, you're going to start seeing me uh, work on that and also some transportation items. We have to have a serious conversation on whether or not uh, the work that we're doing in our city and keeping people safe, mainly pedestrians uh, and cyclists, uh, whether we're doing a good enough job. And I think I got some ideas on how we could make our city safer on our streets. So those are two things that uh, we could, or the city could be ready to hear from me uh, come January and February in the last two years of my of my council. And I had just read an article in the last few days about the status of the city's recycling efforts. Uh, I, I believe it had called it had uh, with uh, the headline or subheadline had said it was wasted potential. Are are you dismayed? Are you happy with the pace of recycling in New York City? What do you think still needs to be done? Uh, no one that knows anything about how we're we're pushing trash in the city or moving trash in the city can say. Uh, um, confidently that we've done a good job. Uh, this city has not been bold enough. Uh, the administration has not been aggressive enough. We know what we need to do to get to higher recycling numbers. And for some reason, um, you know, uh, what, what I say in some, in some cases is just a leadership uh, that, that uh, you know, cowards uh, I, when, it, when it comes down to it. I think that the commissioner wants to see these changes and wants to make it happen, but uh, she's constantly held back by administrative politics, uh, mostly. Uh, so, no, we've done a terrible job, and we know exactly what we need to do to make it better, and we're just not pushing it. So I'm glad that the series came out, and I'm looking forward to doing anything I can to make it better. But uh, at the end of the day, the leadership has to come from the administration. 
And uh, I'm curious, will you be holding hearings regarding the pace of recycling? What, like, what are some of like a key measure or two that you hope to implement or hope will be implemented, signed into law this year? Yeah. So one of the hearings that we have to hold again, and I've held, um, I believe, like six hearings related to organics recycling. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to event, uh, finally, finally get to a place where we're mandating the recycling of organics that is happening in every other large city, any, uh, well, many large cities, especially on the West Coast. Uh, we should have done this a long time ago. Uh, we were expecting that to happen through executive order, which is how the current recycling program exists in the city of New York. The mayor has pumped it and said that we should handle it in the city council. Uh, so we will do that. So there will be a hearing on organics recycling. Uh, and then there's something called save as you throw. We want to incentivize good behavior. We want to figure out a way that we can reward uh, landlords or building owners or even tenants um, that are doing a good job at recycling in the city of New York. And those incentives could be uh, tax relief or tax breaks. Uh, we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we want to figure it out. Um, those are two things that have, should have been done actually two, three, four years ago that we're still sitting on because the, uh, the administration is too scared to push. And you've also been, in talking uh, about concerns about the administration, you've also been uh, aggressive and out there as far as the administration's efforts to rezone uh, a, a, a portion of Bushwick uh, to spur housing development. Can you talk a little about your concerns? Yes. Uh, so we've gone through a process, uh, it's a five years community-based process, uh, and community-based planning process to see uh, what exactly uh, the community wants the future of Bushwick to look like. The mayor's office was a part of that process for four of the six years that we, we put it together. Uh, and we really thought that we were coming to a place where a community can self-determine or through self-determination uh, dictate what the community is going to look like. We got to the end and the mayor tells us, uh, you know, what and, and I guess I, I don't want to say too much, but the mayor seems to be uh, under the impression that this work that the community has done is not enough. He wants more market rate housing in Bushwick. Uh, and we did the math. We did all, all the work. And the city, again, was with us during this work. And the plan we have is the best plan. The community's plan is the best plan. But the mayor wants more. And we're not going to uh, relegate our community to the same uh, you know, accelerated displacement measures that have happened in other rezonings in the city of New York. So that's what we're fighting right now. We're not anti-development, but we do think that there's such a thing as uh, there is such a thing as uh, uh, how do I say responsible development, and the city doesn't seem to care about that. So uh, I want to uh, move over to – there are a number of issues I want to ask you about, but I want to move over to yep. one that's been in the news considerably uh, in the last uh, week or so since uh, since it uh, was enacted, the uh, the bail uh, reform that took place. Yep. I mean front page of the Daily News this weekend, um, you know, uh, supporters of the bail reform measures are saying give this time and there's an overreaction right now while critics of the bail reform – itself are saying, see, we told you this is what was going to happen. Where do you stand on the cash bail debate? Um, I think it was the right thing to do. I'm extremely proud of the work that the state did to pass bail reform. Uh, what we're talking about here is equity. Uh, the same people that are fear-mongering at this moment are the same folks that said the sky was going to fall 
when stop and first stopped in the city of New York. They said we were, we would revert back to a city that looked like the 1970s and the 1980s. It didn't happen. When I passed my Right to Know Act, they said that we would be handcuffing cops and not allowing them to do their job. And that has not been the case. And the same people that have uh, talked in the past about those two pieces of reform are not talking about bail reform. Uh, and it, it just, uh, at the end of the day, what we've noticed is that every time, every single time the city of New York or the state of New York has pushed for reform of policing or in the court system, it has been a success. There is never, never in our history have, has, has there been a piece of reform that has been pushed by the city that was unsuccessful. Um, so at this point, uh, I say, you know, wait. Uh, it's only been a week since we've implemented this has been uh, enacted. Um, let's wait to see the results. And it was, a, it was a shame. The person that was on the cover of the Daily News yeah. uh, was somebody that was arrested for an extremely small crime. Um, and then they committed a crime. They also, I want to be clear, also represent a very, very small percentage of the people that were let out um, through this bail reform. And the, the important part that I really need to get to, though, is it's about equity. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you should stay in jail longer than somebody that is rich. And that is it. We're not letting poverty be the reason why you have to be in jail. And these folks that are fighting against it are folks that uh, believe poverty itself is a crime. So, again, uh, I'm happy that we pushed the bail reform, um, and I'm looking forward to, to keeping it as is um, and seeing its success long term. So you were one of the, if I'm correct, you might have even been the earliest uh, person to announce that you're running for borough president here in Queens. I think I had read that you had done this in, in June of, of last year. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, I mean, obviously this is going to pit you against some of your city council colleagues. Uh, but I'm curious, what led you to say, this is the position I want and what, you know, and how do you see that your role in that office? If you were elected, what would you do? So I was, I was, I believe, the second person ah. running. Yes, but uh, like I come from very, very humble means. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a large uh, fundraising apparatus. So I needed to start early to make sure that when the time came, I could compete with folks that'll probably raise um, lots of money. I also don't take real estate money, um, which tends to be the go-to for a lot of people, especially people raising money, especially in uh, borough-wide or city-wide races. So, um, you know, I was uh, I had to make sure that I started early so that I could uh, make sure that my voice was heard and wasn't undermined by a lack of funding or of fundraising. Um, the thing that the thing that drew me to the borough president's office, first and foremost, Brooklyn has, has given me everything. My mother was on welfare. We were on food stamps. We had uh, Section 8 housing. So when you talk about how government helped my family, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you today as a as a borough president candidate or as a city council member who wasn't for, for Brooklyn government. So I want to make sure that I can give something back. But what I really want to take on is land use. I want to see if I can, and I will, I, I, when I win, <laughs> I will be making sure that I push a comprehensive planning. What we're doing currently and why people are fighting against all these rezonings is that they believe the city of New York is uh, targeting mostly black and brown poor communities. And, using them and, uh, to, to deal with the ills on, and the shortcomings of an administration when it comes to housing. What I think we can do is have a plan that is, uh, that is comprehensive, that speaks to every single community in the city of New York, or at least in Brooklyn, doing its part to build 
uh, a city of the future, not just these poor black and brown communities that have been neglected uh, for a long time. So that's what really drew me to it. I also have other things that I want to do. Marty Markowitz was a former borough president, and he was the cheerleader of Brooklyn. I think we could bring that cheerleading back. Um, like I said, I love Brooklyn. And also, I think Brooklyn is the progressive capital of this country. And I want to make sure that I could, have, I could not only push the Brooklyn is great flag, but Brooklyn is progressive. I think I can hold that one, too. And I'm excited that I'm running, and I'm looking forward to eventually becoming the next borough president. And, and Marty Markowitz is uh, saying that we all remember was forget about it. So that's going to be yours or you'll come up with a new one. I'll, I'll think about it. I'm, I'm, I come from a Latino background. So maybe we'll figure out a way to say that in Spanish and maybe we could use that. But uh, I love forget about it. I, I don't want to forget about the good things that, that were brought to Brooklyn by people before me. So, so I appreciate Marty very much. He put Brooklyn on the map. He helped put Brooklyn on the map. So again, I appreciate his, his run and I, I hope I can take some good things of what he did and, and push them forward. And one of the key things that a borough president does also is have a significant say in uh, in who is appointed to community boards. I'm going through this uh, in Queens where I just looked at the application, and it, it's a smart application in Queens because you really need to explain why you want to be on a community board. How do you feel about the current process of selection of community board members, and is there anything you would want to do further to reform it? Yes, so – I think there is a need for deep reform in community boards. I don't think community boards are necessarily representative of the actual communities that they're supposed to be representing. Um, we just have seen a report uh, that has been put out that has showed that Latinos and African-Americans and women are grossly underrepresented in these community boards. So what we see is mostly white affluent men making decisions on community boards. Uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily how I see are the future of planning in the city of New York actually working. So I would reform it significantly by making sure that it's representative um, in Brooklyn, which it isn't right now, and that uh, demographic representation is valuable. I also think that the, the, there's a lack of professionalism on community boards. Um, we deal with transportation. We deal with uh, housing. We deal with education. And we don't necessarily have people on the community boards that are, are well-informed on those issues. What I would do is uh, push for professional development, give opportunities for us to, to have an educational component um, uh, in the community board so that people can learn while they're on the community board and have uh, and, and the information they get and the data they receive um, help them make more informed decisions. But I am probably going to be the candidate that you know, most changes how communities board, community boards work here in the city of New York. I, I do think that Gail Brewer... Um, and Scott Stringer before her did a very good job at reforming uh, community boards in Manhattan. And you know, I constantly tell people when I'm at fundraisers or when I'm speaking about this that I want to be the Gail Brewer of Brooklyn when it comes <laughs> to community boards. Yeah, so she's someone, she's someone that I'm going to use uh, um, to, to model how I want to um, start the process of reforming community boards. Well, Gail will tell you that she knows I'm very fond of her. She's also invited me over for Thanksgiving dinner at one point. So. Oh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gail Brewer, and um, it, it, early on in politics, I, I was a big fan. Um, the work that she's doing as a borough president, um, you know, again, second to none, and is going to be someone that I see as a, as a, as a mentor, as someone that I want to emulate, for sure. So we've got just about two minutes left, and because I started off the show talking a little about what's going on nationally, the presidential race, have you endorsed? Are you leaning towards anyone? Yeah, so I have endorsed. I've endorsed Elizabeth Warren. 
Uh, I'm very excited about her candidacy. Um, but what I, I guess what I really want to say um, in this time where we're in, we're about a month away, we're going to see um, a couple of states, <clears throat> caucus goers, kind of dictate where we're going to be moving um, long-term in the presidential election is, uh, I love Elizabeth Warren. I think she's going to be great. But I also like uh, Bernie Sanders. I also like Andrew Yang. I think we got a good group of progressives within the Democratic Party um, that could really take us to the future. What I don't want to do is uh, rely on moderates or centrists anymore. Uh, what we've seen is a president dismantle the work that was done by a previous Democratic president in two years on what took eight years to build. We're going to need somebody that gets elected that can build back up and then reinforce so that if we ever get another Republican president, um, that they can't dismantle the work that we did in a couple of years. So that's why I'm pushing for Elizabeth Warren as my primary candidate. So um, so that, that's kind of where I, I stand. So, Council Member, if people want to learn more about your work on the committee uh, and your uh, also your campaign, but if they want to learn more about you, where should they go? How can they learn more? So uh, I have some information on my campaign website, which is reynoso4brooklyn.com. Uh, but also in my uh, professional capacity, just call the office and we'll be more than happy to, to speak to you one-on-one. Uh, and that's at 718-963-3141. Um, but I'm also very active on Twitter um, and Facebook, but Twitter mostly. And I'm uh, uh, Reynoso, uh, Reynoso for Brooklyn, the number four. Reynoso, the number four Brooklyn on Twitter. If you, you hit me up there, I have a lot of information um, about who I am and what I do. Of course, you'll see all my tweets and um, they are what I believe in. Um, so that's the best way to get a hold of me. And like I said, the campaign is very early right now. We're about almost two years away from the actual campaigning. Um, uh, so there'll be more information about me uh, that, that'll come in the near future. Councilman Antonio Reynoso, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI tonight. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Have a great night. So I want to uh, also thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, you know, I... I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I uh, I really appreciate uh, when uh, when I run into people on the street and I talk to them a little about the show and the station itself. And it's amazing how many people I run into who talk to me about why they listen to WBAI and why they support WBAI. Uh, because we've been around now as of uh, this week, I believe, or uh, we hit, or last week we hit our 60th birthday. Uh, I am what is known as a WBAI buddy or BAI buddy. And uh, that is how I, in addition to volunteering with this show and the show that I do on Thursdays, uh, I give a recurring donation, comes right out, goes right onto my credit card once a month. Uh, that's what, to me, that's how I can help uh, commercial free, non-corporate radio like uh, WBAI, where you can hear a diverse range of voices and a diverse range of programming. Think of what was on just before me. Marisol has such a beautiful show, which is why I love arriving early so I can listen to her show when she or Nando are on. And you can get something uh, insightful throughout the day, throughout the week. And uh, so if you could become a BAI buddy, what does it mean? You give the recurring donation, you get a BAI, a WBAI tote bag, uh, which is I just love my WBAI tote bag. Uh, you will get a, a BAI membership card, which will give you discounts. Uh, and right now, Andrea from the station has said that anyone who becomes a BAI buddy will get 
uh, one of the books that have been donated to us uh, that you can – I believe you could find a number of them on our website. You can become a BAI buddy by going to our website, which is WBAI.org. Once again, that's WBAI.org and you can give any donation – I'm hoping you can give $20 a month. I think it's only $20 a month, but long term, it helps our station. It helps us. We rely on our listeners to keep us going. And so I want to thank our our dedicated listeners and also our new listeners for tuning in. You are listening uh, to WBAI 99.5 FM's City Watch, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your co-host, co-host, excuse me. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Uh, and I want to thank you again for tuning in. So now on the line, we have another candidate for Bur- Brooklyn Borough President, uh, Robert Carnegie Jr. He is the council member for the 36th district. And that district includes Bedford-Stuyvesant and Crown Heights. Uh, council member Carnegie is the chair of the council's committee on housing and buildings, chair of the minority and women owned business enterprise task force. And he also chairs the council's democratic conference. And he's a member of a number uh, or of the influential budget negotiating team, which is going to be a pivotal role in the coming months because the mayor's budget plan should be coming out, uh, in a few weeks. So, uh, council member Carnegie, I'd like to welcome you to WBAI. Hey, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. So, uh, first of all, I want to get right to something you did this weekend because, uh, you know, I- I'm curious how it went. You held a Know Your Rights event to provide tenant support and resources yesterday here in Brooklyn. Can you talk a little about the event, what took place, and why you wanted to have it? Well, first of all, um, uh, thank you for bringing it up. Um, there are so many misconceptions about uh, the rights of tenants. Uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant and Northern Crown Heights and Central Brooklyn in general is the uh, epicenter of gentrification and the negative impacts of gentrification which include displacement are running rampant so but simultaneously i got to be honest simultaneously while i was having my event on um tenants rights the the public advocate tish james in the same building was holding a massive get out to 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 get and know your rights around deed theft and deed fraud so there's there's this three-legged stool i talk about all the time that is displacing not only tenants, but homeowners now in central Brooklyn. And that stool is third-party transfer, the misuse of the lien sale list, and the abuse uh, and theft of homes through deed theft and deed fraud. Those three things conspire to move more homeowners and residents out of central Brooklyn and uh, uh, minority, majority neighborhoods than anything else right now. And I'm glad you mentioned deed theft because I know that is one of the measures that you have pushed for. Yeah, so um, I had the pleasure of a while ago working with um, the, the former AG uh, Snyderman, and, um, um, and he dedicated $20 million of funds just to combat deed theft and deed fraud. And what that money did was it bolstered organizations on the ground to do exactly what we're doing now as a community, which is getting out information, which is um, partnering with um, legal organizations to combat it, and where we find it to make sure that we can root it out and um, capture some of these homes and get them back to the people that they belong to. It's a really insidious crime where people are literally sitting down um, at the county clerk's office pulling deeds, seeing the age of tenants, um, the age of homeowners, and, and the biggest target, obviously, not obviously, but the biggest target is uh, seniors in our communities who've owned their homes for, you know, several decades. 
So uh, as uh, chair of the uh, of the Housing and Buildings Committee, uh, you've also held a number of hearings, and I know that you uh, have two specific measures that you have pushed for. Uh, I'm saying, you know, they're numbers, but I, because I don't want to reveal what they are, I would like you to intro 1104 and intro 1529, uh, which uh, helps our city's tenants. Can you talk a little about what both of those measures will do? Yeah, so those were introduced in my committee by uh, um, uh, Mark Levine and Vanessa mm-hmm. Gibson, um, and they expand the rights to counsel in eviction cases to tenants making under 400% of the federal poverty line, which is now, currently is at 200% of the poverty line uh, below the poverty level, and this, this measure would make it under 400% of the federal level, getting more tenants the ability to fight these eviction cases uh, with legal resources that are free. So, uh, you know, uh, I will get to your race for borough president or the race for borough president in just a moment. Just one or two other issues I want to uh, ask you about. I believe you weighed in recently about um, uh, drone inspections of buildings. Do I have that right? Yes, absolutely. So we have some measures um, um, uh, in conjunction with the borough president and my colleague uh, in South Brooklyn, uh, Justin Brannon. Um, and we are planning to have an oversight hearing in January. Um, you know, that will discuss facade inspections in general, but the use of drones to um, effectively speed up the process for inspections and be more effective and efficient. We believe that it will be more effective and efficient to use drones to inspect buildings prior to anything happening. Like, so we, we know that what happened to Erica Tishman was, was a tragedy, and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen to anybody else. So we'll, we'll be having... Um, uh, an oversight hearing in late January to discuss, to um, just to discuss and to go over facade inspections, particularly the use of drones in, in that in that way. And uh, I asked our previous guest about this as well because it was the front page of the news this weekend. Uh, I'm you know, anyone that I interview, I'd love to know their opinion on this. There's been this. Uh, yeah, there's been criticism, uh, mainly uh, levied by a lot of Republicans at this point uh, in our city uh, about the uh, bail reforms that just were enacted. Uh, and the news put it uh, put something on the cover with a man who was released and then was arrested once again. Where do you stand on the cash bail debate? So we can't have a city where that criminalizes the poor. So. A lot of the bail reforms were centered around low-level uh, crimes and misdemeanors. Listen, I, I have a bill, um, the Khalif Browder bill, and arguably Khalif Browder would not have spent as much time on Rikers Island if there had been cash bail. He, he, um, he, never, he never got it, uh, to, to have uh, a, a speedy trial, which he's entitled to under the law, and consequently we know the tragedy that befell uh, Khalif Browder, having spent mm-hmm. over two years on Rikers Island, uh, without a speedy trial and without the ability to have um, uh, enough money as, as someone who was impoverished to post bail for himself in a very minor case. Now, obviously, we know that cases of more severity should be, you know, we, we should tweak it somewhat, but bail reform shouldn't be revoked. I think it's, a, it's the, the criminalization of the poor in this city and major metropolises across the, across the country uh, has demonstrated the need for bail reform not only here but across the country. So I stand firmly with the idea that we have to have um, – we cannot criminalize the poor through um, having cash bail be the only um, format that's used. 
So I want to go to the borough president's race. Uh, you've announced that you'd like to run, uh, that you're, you're running for borough president of here in Brooklyn. Uh, how would you change that office? What are, what are some of your signature issues? So the signature issues for me, obviously, are housing. But mm-hmm. i got to be clear. Um, in the last legislative term, I very proudly chaired the Committee on Housing and Buildings. So um, I, I, you know, I proudly um, am a pro-development progressive, right? So I believe in responsible development. I believe in empowering small businesses to build capacity within their businesses to either hire more through access to capital and access to technical assistance. Um, being a part of the budget negotiation team, like you mentioned before, one of my, my pet peeves is making sure that money in the budget is available to undercurrent and support small businesses, which hasn't necessarily been present in past. So I've had a long conversation with the speaker and the mayor's office about the ability to demonstrate our commitment to small businesses through the budget. We know that the budget is a clear delineation between what you believe in and what you're willing to put weight behind. And, and, and unfortunately, um, in the past, we haven't demonstrated our we've, dem- we've demonstrated our commitment to workers, but we haven't necessarily demonstrated our commitment to businesses in a way that not only um, makes businesses feel supported, but but draws new business into the city. And those are my two major issues: housing and small business. Both committees that I've chaired and I'm very passionate about. I have a very unique perspective. Uh, I, th- I actually think literally with both sides of my brain, where there's the business side. And there's also the very philanthropic and, you know, inside that is a very social justice side and development side. So um, I would like to take my nuanced brand of leadership and lead the biggest borough, the fourth, arguably the fourth largest city in the country, um, uh, through this tough period we're in, not only um, uh, legislatively um, and, and politically, but also economically, uh, and make, make Brooklyn great again. And I was going to ask, you know, and this is similar to, you know, when I when I get to the question after that about the presidential race about, you know, what would lead you to support or uh, lean towards any candidate versus another. But when it comes to the number of people who are going to be out there running for all of our city council seats and our borough president seats for the in the 2021 elections, what do you think is going to set you apart in this race from the other candidates? Definitely my commitment to small business and responsible development. We've had. Um, some, some, you know, some of my, my colleagues who are running are staunch um, progressives. I think progressives have the, the use of the word progressive has taken on a negative tone, in not only in local elections but in the country. So we can no longer have the word progressive be synonymous with anti-business and anti-development. That's a ridiculous proposition, and I'm having difficulty. Um, uh, aligning with a candidate because I have uh, we have this very negative narrative that says if you believe in business growth and development, if you believe in responsible development, that you can't be a progressive. And they've, they've articulated no narrative around being, um, being, being healthy and sound financially as it relates to being a progressive. And I think because of that, we got Trump in the first time, and I don't want to have that same thing happen again. So someone's got to articulate a message of prosperity for Democrats, and no one's done that. I've, I've watched debate after debate after debate, and small business hasn't come up in any of the debates. I think Andrew Yang may have mentioned it once. I don't know how you run for to be the leader of the free world and don't mention small business. 
Do you think that Mayor Bloomberg's introduction into the race is a good thing? Um, I think it may have hurt his brand. And I think that, you know, uh, what the constituents of the city had articulated was that they'd rather have him focus on issues that were germane to the city and not have that global approach. So I don't know if, um, if it was good or bad. I know that the sentiment around the city and the constituents that I serve um, weren't exactly uh, favorable to him running. They, they wanted to have a mayor that was more hands-on and that, and that they felt safe with. And I don't think they got that based on the run. He, he got a he got an incredibly bad rap for that. Uh, so we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I do want to go back to something because you are, as I had pointed out, you're a member of the budget negotiating team on the city council. And obviously the mayor will be announcing his fiscal plan in the coming weeks. What do you hope to see or what do you want to see in, in the mayor's fiscal plan? And uh, what do you not want to see? So, listen, I'm, 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 a, I'm responsible to be a good fiscal steward of the city's, the taxpayer's dollar. And I think that... Um, the way that we've used um, the system around homelessness doesn't necessarily do that. So we know that it costs four times as much to temporarily house individuals in our shelter systems and hotels as it would to create a long-term, sustainable, and viable option, supportive housing for the homeless. And I'd like to see more of a long-term commitment to, to sustainable, long-term, housing and not so much temporary housing, which is what we've done to date. I don't think that that's a great formula. And like I mentioned before, I want to see a greater commitment in the budget to our small businesses, our mom and pop businesses that undergird this city. 67% of the employment in this city is through small business, not through giant uh, corporations. So we should have, um, we should be more committed in the budget to the needs of our small businesses. And I'll be fighting for that during this budget process. So when I initially invited you on the show tonight, it was before uh, there was another development where your path and my path are going to cross next Sunday afternoon uh, at the uh, Museum of Jewish Heritage. They have a concert, an annual event called Soul to Soul, uh, which explores the parallels of African-American Jewish history. Uh, and it is held every Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. Uh, and they told me shortly after I had invited you on the show uh, that you're going to be delivering the welcoming remarks. You're introduced by a rab rabbi, Joe Potasnik, who has a, a radio show on another station. Uh, and uh, I'm curious, at this time, as we approach Martin Luther King Day weekend, where you're going to be attending this event, which will be largely um, you know, attended by African-American and uh, uh, Jewish uh, members of our city, uh, what will go through your mind? What's the type of message you want to send in your, in your opening remarks? So there's got to be a united front as it relates to, to violence, anti-Semitism, bias, and bigotry. And I think one of the great ways to do that is through arts and culture. Arts and culture has always been a great equalizer. So when education hasn't worked equally, when other things, you know, the, the idea that music and art um, have been a great equalizer. So I'm, I'm really um, excited about being a part of this program. And secondly, because a lot of people don't know, um, I, I lived in, in Israel in a kibbutz um, for a few years uh, in Pekka Tikva. So... This is kind of full circle for me. So, so being able to, like, one of the things I said when we did the march across the, the bridge was mm -hmm. that when I was in Israel, um, I lived in a, in a condo right above a military bus stop. And I remember one morning 
someone driving a truck over service members, men and women, in the military and killing most of them. And I said, wow, that could never happen in the U.S. And now I find myself almost eating my words because the violence has escalated to the place that I'm not really sure um, if we're able to protect citizens who are important to the vibrancy of this city, both black, Hispanic, and Jewish. And we got to do a better job of that. And if, if the music and art can be one way that we listen to each other and begin to form this solid bound, bond, I'm in, I'm in 100%. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that about the march last weekend. I just had this discussion with the head of the Worker Circle earlier this morning about how, uh, about how she makes sense of this all, the, the um, surge of incidents that took place over Hanukkah, the incident in Muncie. How do you talk to youth? What message do you want to send to youth about you know, these type of incidents and about, you know, understanding, you know, what uh, – you know, what it me- what they mean. So, believe it or not, the African-American experience in this country is a roadmap to being tolerant racially and religiously for other communities. And so I would double down on teaching young people from communities of color in particular about their history in this country. So once you understand your history and your existence and what it was based upon, then it's really difficult to you hatred and have acts of vandalism and or violence against another community. So part of this is because our young people aren't getting the right message about their existence. So this, this post-racial society that we allegedly live in has led to people being less racially and, 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 and um, religiously tolerant. So I would double down on teaching our students about their existence in this country and their existence around the world and how important it is to have the same level of tolerance that was necessary for us to move forward in this country and point out that we're still not at a place that we have uh, the right to, 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 to do anything to anyone else. We should be combining our forces together to demonstrate the love that we want to see in our community. So I would absolutely double down on, on the, the uh, African-American experience and its existence in this country in an effort to have young people be more racially and religiously tolerant of our neighbors in this in this city. And we've got just about a minute or two left. So can you just uh, let our listeners know if they want to learn more about you and the work of your office, uh, where they should go? So um, this is this is that part that I get really excited about when we <laughs> get to talk about, you know, uh, um, how I can be reached on social media. So on Twitter and on um, Instagram, it's R. Carnegie Jr., um, and on Facebook is Robert E. Carnegie Jr. Um, and if you really want to be a part of my newsletter and find out what we're doing, you can just go on to the council's webpage and, and put my name in the Dropbox and my, my, my uh, site for the council will come up. Councilmember Robert Carnegie Jr., thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI tonight. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity, and I'll see you next week in, 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 in a very festive and enjoyable setting. I will see you there. Thank you so much, Council Member. Thank you. So uh, what we were just talking about, if you had just tuned in here on WBAI City Watch, was a concert that's being held by the National Yiddish Theater Folks Bina called Soul to Soul. And what they are also doing, which is so special, 
next Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Uh, and this takes place at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust. What they're doing with this concert is they have brought in the participation of a group that you might have heard of called Impact Repertory Theater. It's Harlem-based. Uh, they've been nominated for Oscars and, and Grammys. Uh, and uh, this event, I've attended it two times. I want to say I've gone to two so far, and it's in Yiddish and in English, uh, but it is basically celebrating a historic partnership between uh, African-American and Jewish people during the civil rights era. Um, it is it, it's just an amazing concert. I can't speak uh, highly as you know, highly enough about it, uh, and I, it'll be great to hear the council member then and also Rabbi uh, Joseph Batasnik as well. Uh, but And you can learn more about that. You just go to uh, NYT nytf.org. That's Folks Bina's website, www.nytf.org. And you can learn a lot more about who's going to be participating in that next weekend. So uh, I'm very happy that I had on two of the candidates for Brooklyn Borough President because uh, this next year and a half, folks, is going to be really busy uh, if if what we predict uh, will happen does actually happen because uh, the campaign finance, finance board had basically uh, said uh, in 2019 that they're gearing up for what could be the biggest and most competitive municipal elections in its 30-year history here in New York City. Um, there could be as many as 500 or more candidates that are vying for a lot of these seats. And I know that I'd like to bring you a lot of those, those voices over the next year and into uh, 2021. In the coming weeks, uh, I will be inviting a number of the uh, candidates who are now trying to become the uh, next Queensboro president uh, in to speak with us. Uh, I think there's five or six, might have even gone up to six, including uh, uh, the former ADA, or at least I think he became the interim DA after Richard Brown had passed away, uh, that he's also going to be running uh, for borough president. He had joined our show after Dick Brown had, had passed away, and it'll be good to hear from him once again. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in religiously. I mentioned before about what it means to be a BAI buddy. And uh, I'm always impressed when people that I cross paths with talk about why they come to BAI. And yeah, there are a lot of progressive voices. And, you know, this show is a news show. So while I do give my opinion, I, you know, I'm not, you know, you're not shoving it down your throat. I'm trying to also understand when I have our guests a little about what makes them tick and why they take certain positions. And also, I'll be asking the candidates uh, when I have them on who they support, because I think you as listeners, uh, if whether you like Bernie Sanders or you like Joe Biden or Mike Bloomberg or whoever you like, I want you to know uh, who these individuals are supporting, because that is helpful to you in also deciding who you're going to be out there voting for. So that's something that I hope to be able to bring you uh, throughout this year and into 2021. Uh, we've got just about a minute or two left, and I, I just want to, again, thank uh, our guests uh, tonight, New York City Council Member Antonio Reynoso, who was on during the first half of the show, and then uh, New York City Council Member uh, Robert Carnegie Jr., both uh, on the council right now, incumbents who are term limited, so they are both 
Uh, they both announced that they're seeking to become the next uh, Brooklyn Borough President to succeed Eric Adams, who, as you longtime listeners might know, uh, is rumored, because I don't think he's officially announced, rumored to be running for um, uh, for mayor of New York City. And as you know, there are a number of people who've announced on that already. Again, I want to thank our BAI buddies. And if you're not a BAI buddy, give you another opportunity to uh, go online to wbai.org. You can become a BAI buddy. And what does that mean? Well, first of all, you get to proudly show your BAI tote bag as you walk down the street. And it is a nice tote bag. And think of it. if uh, I believe the nickel charge, um, uh, Max, the nickel charge went into effect with plastic bags or it's supposed to go into effect soon here in New York State. No? I... I haven't heard about it okay. lately. I thought it was supposed to, but for me, the, I, that's why I've been saving my tote bags also, even you know, for my groceries, and I'm proudly bringing it to the local food town uh, uh, when I go shopping. So, you know, I, that is how I also show my pride, and that is how I promote BAI. And by becoming a BAI buddy, you give a recurring donation of five, ten, twenty dollars, fifteen dollars. It can be an odd amount as well, seventeen dollars, whatever you'd like. Remember, we're sixty years old, so a sixty dollar you know donation a month would be superb. If you became a BAI buddy, you'll get the tote bag. You will get a discount card, which is going to be helpful because if you go on our website, you'll see some of the discounts you could get. Also, Andrea here at the station has said that she will also for new BAI buddies will donate. Will give to you. Some some of the books that we have collected here from publishers. There's a wide variety of books. So when you do this, you could even easily ask her what she has for you. And that's just going to make up for the price, you know, for uh, a good fraction of what you're, you're donating. But remember, you are supporting non-commercial, non-corporate uh, listener-supported radio here in New York City. And we are glad to be back on the air. And we're glad to be able to provide you with distinct often progressive programming uh, here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I am your host, Jeff Simmons. I want to thank you for joining me here today on City Watch. Uh, if you missed any portion of the show, it will be up on our website at WBAI.org. You just have to go to Programs and then Archives. It'll be up in about 10 minutes. You can also follow me, Jeff Simmons, on on Twitter at Jack Heights, that's J A C K H I T E S. City Watch is also up there as well at City Watch W B A I uh, and on Facebook. And also, I've posted that story on AOC on our Facebook page as well. I encourage you to listen to it. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight, and please stay with us. Stay with W B A I for the Golden Age of Radio with Max Schmidt. Have a good evening.